Howdy, y'all. Welcome to another special episode of Roll for Persuasion. I am your host, Andrew Richardson. Always appreciate you guys joining me for these special Undeadwood follow-ups. Looking forward to getting into this most recent episode, part three, I Got My Wish. But first, I want to always extend a special thanks, gratitude to the cast and the crew of this fantastic show. You can tell that it is a labor of love, and it's not lost on the viewers. The amount of detail and attention that goes into each part of this awesome miniseries. Anyway, guys, we're on part three, which means there's only one more left, so this fun little journey is close to coming to an end. But it's been a good one. Been some twists, been some turns, been some performances, and there's still more to come. So here we are. Bonus episode number three, following up Undeadwood Part 3, I Got My Wish. Before we dive into it, I do want to cover a few quick uh, business items. As always, if you would follow the show on social media, at Roll Persuasion on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Very active there. Always like to interact with you guys, so feel free to comment, reply, tweet, retweet, tag, whatever you do on the socials. Do it with us. And make sure, of course, that you subscribe to the show. We are on all major podcasting platforms. Uh, Please make sure to leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, because that is kind of the main focus for all podcast reviews. Even if you don't use an Apple device, run on over to the Apple Store, log on to every phone there, leave a review, and uh, tag me, because that would actually be pretty funny. So go for that. Also, just so you guys know, the normal show does air on Wednesdays, uh, whenever I manage to push it out. So somewhere mid-afternoon-ish. Have a couple really cool guests coming up. Very excited about these new episodes. This Wednesday, I am interviewing Shane Vescascus, the co-host of Total Party Thrill Podcast, one of my favorite D&D and TTRPG podcasts. If you haven't listened to them, go check them out. Total Party Thrill. Uh, Google, listen to the episode. We talk about some really cool stuff. We talk about being creators, being podcasters, what kind of goes into the mindset of starting something new. And it's a really great episode. I'm really looking forward to it dropping. So make sure you subscribe and don't miss it. The week after that, I'm interviewing Beth May, a.k.a. Ron Stampler from the Dungeons & Daddies podcast, which if you guys have not listened, it is the best thing this side of the Adventure Zone. If you love humor, comedy, and enjoyable D&D interactions, go check out Dungeons & Daddies. We'll be interviewing Beth a week from Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed so you can catch that episode as well. And of course, as I said at the beginning, thank you to the cast, the crew, everyone involved in the production of Undeadwood. A big thank you to whoever standing just out of camera waving a fan on Matt's hair. They claim it's just AC, but but I think we all know uh, that that is probably just Max over there on the side fanning that hair for the entire episode. But also, if if you're out there and you know who does the set design for Critical Role shows, I'm pretty sure I heard that it's an actual company that they have come in. The set designs are really fantastic. Whether it is uh, Undeadwood or any of their other shows, Pub Draw, uh, Mini Primetime, 
Yeehaw Game Ranch, all of them look great. And it really, it really sets the show apart from a lot of the other things out there. So if you know who does that, or if one of the crew members is listening, hit me up on Twitter, let me know. Would love to uh, give some recognition to those guys as well, because they're doing a great job. And finally, once again, thank you guys for listening. Brian, I know you're listening right now, so uh, I'm going to keep bugging you, man. When this thing is over, come on here, talk with me. want to hear everything that kind of went into bringing this show into being, what it was like for you getting to revisit a show that you love so much and in some small way make yourself part of it. Love to have that conversation to do kind of a wrap-up once the show is over, so hit me up. So part three. Quick recap, as you know, five different strangers in this little town of Deadwood were hired by Al Swearingen to find out what's been going on with some of these claims that are getting bought up around the town. So they travel out, go through the wilderness, have some issues with horses, fight with some weird snake creatures. They have some strange visions. They see a, a mysterious dealer character that speaks to them, and they're granted some crazy powers. They come back to Deadwood. They find Sheriff Bullock in a firefight with uh, several undead hoopleheads. They engage in combat, they unleash some of those new powers, and everyone's a little rattled. The next day, they wake up and they investigate what's going on in town. They head out to the graveyard just outside of town, where they find the empty grave of Wild Bill Hickok and Arabella's sister, Cynthia. They dig into these graves, they interact with some weird fog. They find that the graves are empty. It appears someone has clawed their way out of these graves. There are scratches and, and fingernails and a bit of ash inside these coffins. Inside of one of them, they also find the hat of what they, the hat they believe belongs to, one Doc Cochran. So they go back to Doc's. He's nowhere to be found. They, they look around in his little shack and they find these odd piles of discarded skin that almost looks like it's been shed uh, by a snake, if you will. Then they make their way over to the Bullock Hotel. I have in my notes, oh shit, E.B.'s been murdered by snakes, and that's pretty much what has happened. Uh, E.B. Farnham has been killed. He's covered in snake bites. They're quickly there trying to figure out what's going on. They dig through his stuff in the back room. They make some great rolls, and they uncover some deeds that uh, it appears E.B. had been buying these claims up for one George Hurst, and they're pretty sure that he's been doing it not for gold, which Deadwood is known for, but instead for oil. At that point, Clayton and Miriam head to the Bell Union where they run into Celine, Whitney, Katie, and Brittany. Props to Brian for those names. They find out that Joni Stubbs was attacked by a snake, but she managed to kill it. We also find out that Katie's pretty handy with a sawed-off shotgun or two. Finally, they go back to Doc's for an autopsy of E.B. Farnham's body. Arabella cuts it open and finds that it is actually filled with ash. At this point, they make their way back to Al's. They give him the latest findings. They let him know what's going on. And in the midst of all that, they're shooting in the streets. Al calls for guns. They run outside, and they see the undead bodies of Wild Bill Hickok and Arabella's sister Cynthia gunning down Deadwood citizens in the middle of the thoroughfare. There's some quick action, and thanks to some great roles, they manage to overcome these enemies. Matt finally hits a few of his shots, living up to his gunslinger name. And Travis rolls out with some supposedly godly holy fire and burns wild bill hickok to ash and what is a really great fight scene so that's a recap there's a lot going on a lot of action ended ended on a very high action note there's a lot going on here guys a lot to unpack before i get into that though it's kind of been a theme the last couple of weeks for me to pick my favorite performance of any particular episode and i have to tell you guys this time it goes to travis as the reverend and 
I feel like I feel like Brian stated this really well. Go to Brian uh, Foster's Instagram. He made a post about Travis. I, I think it was last week, and about the dedication that he brings to characters. It can be very easy to dismiss Travis as you know the goofy guy, the big guy. But you know, in these moments where his character steps forward, that he really deeply understands the characters he's portraying. You can tell that he has given a lot of thought and intention into the mindset, the behaviors, the history that goes into his performance. And I felt like this was fully on display in this moment near the beginning of the episode, I think about half an hour in or so, as they are leaving with Farnham's body. They're literally literally carrying Farnham's body. And the Reverend is confronted by two guys who claim they know who he is. They remember him from the war. And if, if you listen to Undeadwood as a podcast or audio, it is worth going, I mean, it's always worth watching the video version, but we, you know, we don't all have time for that. But if all you have time for is to go watch this scene to see how Travis handles this moment of interaction with Brian as the DM, the change in his face from that kind of mild-mannered reverend, his eyes kind of narrow, his face drops, he has a slight almost a grin on his face as he shifts from being the understanding pastor to what appears to be a very cold-blooded killer. It's a fantastic moment of, of character performance, of facial acting, of, of someone using the limited resources available to act at a table. It's not a stage. You can't get up and walk around. It's very much facially driven, and he nails it. In fact, it, it might be good for you to go to YouTube right now, search for Travis Willingham, Secondhand Lions, watch the first search result from this movie. Travis is in the scene, and uh, along with some other actors, gets his butt kicked by Robert Duvall. This is like the inverse of that, except Travis is Robert Duvall in this scene, and instead of beating these guys up with his hands, it's just his eyes. It's a killer scene. His intonation changes. Everything about it is fantastic. Also, while you're YouTubing that, make sure you find a video of Travis explaining how Robert Duvall actually punched him in the face over and over, because that's a pretty entertaining listen as well. But in the middle of the scene, and again, you need to go watch it, the, the shift happens at this moment where he's telling people that he is glad to help them out and they can come and find him at the church. And when he says church, it is about the most uninviting spiritual line that has ever been delivered. It is just filled with gravitas and weight and a promise not, a, not of help but of danger. And it is, it is a great moment. And the look on the face of all the other cast members at this moment really kind of shows you the quality of acting that, that Travis is delivering in that scene. Everyone just kind of pauses. Matt in particular looks over looks over at him with this kind of look on his face of like, holy shit. And it's a great moment. And then to put the whole bow on it, at the very end of the scene, the party has successfully intimidated these two uh, miscreants and they turn to leave and Per Brian's narration, they walk right into Sheriff Bullock, and Travis doesn't miss a beat. He just goes, oops, and it is perfect. It's so good. So much is told about his character in that moment without actually having to do a lore dump, without actually having to dig into his past or give specific tidbits about uh, behaviors or actions. We get a little bit. Uh, these guys, rec one of them recognizes him from uh, what he thinks is the cavalry during the war. We're kind of led to believe that that might be the case. We know that the Reverend has some skeletons in his closet. He doesn't own up to them, though. 
but his behavior lets him, lets you know that he is every bit as dangerous as the other members of this party. And it tells us everything we need to know about the character without giving us any information. And it's great. So that's my moment from this episode. I can't wait to learn a little bit more. And guys, I really don't know. They, they have one more part of this miniseries left. And, and I'm going to be real. I don't know how they're going to wrap it up. I'm sure they will. Brian's done a great job telling the story so far. But, but I don't know where it's going. There's so many threads and they're slowly coming together. Where's Doc? Where did Doc go? What is his involvement? We know that he has a history of grave robbing. We know that he is curious about dead bodies and, and using them as kind of a catalyst to understand illness and death. Is he an innocent bystander in all this or is he somehow wrapped up in whatever is going on? George Hurst is out there. We know that he's buying up land ostensibly for oil. I, for one, am not convinced that the oil is real. Is it like, I don't know how to explain it. Is it actual oil from the earth? Is, is this just kind of like a, a story, you know, engine to kind of push the story forward? Or is this part of kind of the supernatural, like the earth is rebelling? Um, Miriam has, has a great bit in this episode where she talks about how, how the earth is uh, possibly rebelling against the people, against Deadwood, against people who are mining it and hurting it. And maybe that's what's going on here. Is it that? Is George Hurst himself one of the crazy, you know, actors behind the curtain who is causing all of this destruction, who has somehow become engaged in the occult and is bringing these people back to life as undead characters to do his bidding, to get people out of town, to take over the town? If you watch the show, you know that uh, he has no love for Deadwood, that uh, he, would, he wouldn't mind seeing it all burn and just leave the, uh, the color, the gold behind. Is that how he's feeling now about oil? Why was E.B. killed? Did he, did he know too much? Was he asking too many questions? We know he had been engaged to keep his eyes open for Miriam. Was he killed because of that? And what is this list that they find of, of people, not just who have property claims that are, are being bought and taken over, but who are being uh, systematically killed? We have one more episode to get answers to all of these questions and more. Who is the dealer? Where do these powers come from? I, I, there, there are so many threads out there and I'm sure they're going to wrap them all up, but I'm sitting here and I'm like, I can't figure it out. And that, and that really, I feel is a sign of a great story because it doesn't feel lost. It doesn't feel convoluted. It feels, it feels like you, there's that bit of stress as the viewer of not knowing how this is going to wrap up of not knowing which characters are going to make it, you know, which of our beloved Deadwood characters is Brian going to kill next? I mean, really, which which one? I is Dan? Is he going to kill Dan? Because that would break my heart. But uh, but you don't know. You don't know. And how is player agency going to impact the story? How are the decisions that these characters make going to drive the final narrative of what takes place? And that really is the great thing about tabletop RPGs about D&D, whatever system you use, is the storytelling, right? And the symbiotic relationship between the game master and the players and how they come together to tell a story at the table. We're seeing that, li not live, but we're seeing that happen and unravel, unroll in front of us. And it's been fun. It's been fun. I'm looking forward to Friday. I don't know where it's going to go. I'm excited to find out the resolution. And quite frankly, I'm excited to find out if they're going to do more shows in this pattern, in this kind of format going forward. 
this would be a great format for more of those kind of Call of Cthulhu type scenarios, right? The the horror one shot that Travis ran. More Deadwood. I'm all down for more Deadwood. Just let Brian keep going. I mean, just just put him back in the costume, drop Matt under a fan, and just let them keep rolling. But as I said in my in my first follow-up episode to this awesome show, it really is just a fantastic example of storytelling, a combination of improv, of acting, of of art from the, the miniatures and the oh, you know what? Side note, let's talk about the miniatures. Cause that Wild Bill Hickok painted by our friend Ian Phillips at Painting Tusk on Twitter, Iron Tusk Painting, looked amazing. Just great macro shot of it in the in the the dimly lit thoroughfare with fog around it and, and the moonlight shining down. It was it was amazing. It was so good. So go check out Ian's stuff. He he's done great work for Critical Role and for the company. Um, his miniature painting is next to none. It's it's fantastic. It's head and shoulders, or miniature head and shoulders above everybody else. But every little bit of the show we've seen come together and kind of be married perfectly into this format that we get to enjoy. And and they're on to something, and I hope they keep it up. But I guess we all have to wait till Friday to find out the conclusion, and I will definitely, of course, have that follow-up episode for you guys to give you more of my thoughts and my my wrap-up on the mini-series. Hopefully, if we can, we'll bring you some more behind-the-scenes information about how the show was made and what went into it. would love that opportunity to share that with you guys. As always, I am Andrew Richardson. This has been Roll for Persuasion, bonus edition, Undeadwood. Please make sure you subscribe and check out the regular episodes of this podcast where I bring you conversations and interviews with creators in the Dungeons and Dragons and the TTRPG space. We've got some great episodes coming up. We've got some great things in the pipeline I can't talk about yet, but I'm very excited about. And I appreciate you guys going on this journey with me. And I appreciate Critical Role and Brian W. Foster for giving us this fantastic representation of Deadwood and this just thoroughly enjoyable Wild West tale of horror and delight. Until next time, y'all take care.